Hey, hey, it's Andy Honest, and you're listening to another episode of Pod Slamma Jamma. Now on by Let's Rage Cougs. On this episode, we'll talk about the Houston Cougars football team. Look ahead at the South Florida matchup. Look specifically at uh, look specifically at the defensive line. We'll look ahead at the Houston Cougars football team not giving up, buying in to um, they were still being able to do um, what they expected to do. Putting those expectations aside getting past the rough up and down start. And then of course we'll end it by talking about the men's basketball team and the scrimmage they had this past weekend in San Antonio. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to pod slime and gem. Yeah. High standards, high goals. You know, we know what it takes to get there. I want to be on guard. If I'm honest. Coaches, coach, players, play. You know, and that's a great place to be in your life. Where you can care less what other people are saying. Joining me as always, day on Dunlap. How are you doing, sir? Oh, sorry about that. I was muted. What's up, Andy? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. No worries. Uh, we're coming off the heels of Houston's first back-to-back win this season. They come off the heels of every strong, impressive win against Navy. They defeated the midshipmen uh, 38-20. to uh, Houston did just about, well, I was going to say just about everything right. They did have those mishaps with the four fumbles, three of which were recovered by Navy. That was the the biggest kind of mark on that game. But I think overall, um, you can certainly agree that that was the, the cleanest game overall, the most complete game um, they played for the season, which um, it's indicative of how the season has gone, especially those first six games. They were really up and down. But I think, you know, when we're going to kind of look at the Navy game, kind of put a final bow in it, but we've got to start defensively and, and the performance that they really did have. Um, because we did mention those, those three turnovers the Navy was able to take. And defense did a good job of being able to hold the midshipmen. And Navy only scored 13 points on the Houston defense itself. They had that scoop and score on one of the fumbles they forced on on Clayton Toon. So um, that's where we'll pick up. And here's what head coach Dana Hogerson had to say uh, during his weekly news conference this past month. In terms of confidence and being able to kind of show that they, they are the team they thought they were coming into the season. I'm curious if from a confidence standpoint, what you've seen from not just the defense, but your team overall since that game against Memphis, because you guys were able to follow it up with a really strong performance against Navy. They clearly put us in a better spot. And we clearly capitalized on it. You know, from a bye week perspective, we practiced hard. <clears throat> you know, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if we would have been able to do what we did against Navy if it wasn't for the extra prep time. Uh, we were well prepared. You know, I give our our coaches a bunch of credit. You know, offensively, defensively, in the kicking game, our our game plan was good. I don't know if we could have got that done in a week. I just don't. So. Um, you know, we got to face the same thing this week with with South Florida coming in on a bye week when they're kind of shuffling some things up, like much like we have have had to. You know, they got a bunch of injuries, but how many of those guys are they going to be able to get back? And what are they going to do offensively? How are they going to adjust? What we don't know. We're going to have to figure that out. But we used it to our advantage. I'm sure South Florida used it to their advantage. Uh, on the topic of defense, we played great. Um, Played great, other than three critical errors, <clears throat> which you know was the result, and 
two touchdowns, you know, a Hail Mary, um, you know, a, a busted assignment on, a, on one long pass, and then, uh, you know, an explosive dive play. We played great on defense. And that, that, that's largely due to Donnie Mutant, Captain Donnie, who had career day. I'm disappointed he's not the American Conference Defensive Player of the Week. I thought he was deserving of that. Obviously, could have been ours, um, you know. But he's played against Navy four times and and takes that very seriously. You know, he's a very disciplined young man that understands how to defend that. Uh, very proud of him. He was flying. He was flying around, making play after play after play. Uh, happy for him. Proud of him. Um, you know, he's able to do some of that because of Dot in front of him. You know, Dot, our D line played good. Disruptive, couldn't couldn't block him. Elias Bell played the best game he's played since he's been here. Jamari Caldwell, Jamichael Neal, <clears throat> you know Caesar. Uh, once again, same thing. So uh, played good up front, which lets those backers run and hit. Uh, but Dot's just different. I mean, he is he does a thankless job. Takes on double teams. He actually split the double team a couple of times and made a play. It's not easy to do. He's able to do it. Um, you know, so that's why he was our player of the game, but just really proud of how we play defensively. So there you heard it from Dana Holgerson. A lot of praise overall across the defense. Uh, but let's start with that defensive line because they did a really good job of being able to stop Navy and, and really shutting down any attack that they had. This was a Navy team that was coming into the game averaging 250 rushing yards per contest, and Houston held them to just barely over. They, they got 201 rushing yards, so far below their season average and just overall like you heard Horson mention he 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 um, really shouted out uh, Chidozi Onwaku who's dot but Dan what are your thoughts on the performance from the D-line I think the D-line set the tone um like coach Holgerson just talked about they were able to not only uh, control the line of scrimmage but they're able to take on blocks and like the block bully his nickname dot mm -hmm. um said like he he Cherishes taking on those double teams to keep the linebackers free, in which enabled Donovan the Mutant to kind of run sideline to sideline and, and make some of those tackles and not miss tackles, sure tackles. And so I think that was the key for the front seven. Defensive line definitely set the tone, passing situations. They were able to pressure the quarterback. And so I think they set the tone. And it was a big week for them to set the tone on, and you're going to face primarily a running attack. Absolutely. And on the topic of Dot, I mean, he himself described his role. Um, his job is to be the rock of the defense. And uh, we're going to hear from Doug Belk momentarily, but he kind of touched down on how really everything starts up front for the defensive line because if they can get a good push. Something that we've mentioned, uh, we mentioned last week heading into this game, the battle in the trenches, um, if they can get a good push, it kind of ruins everything the Navy is trying to do. And it's something that we saw uh, with the Cougars that they were successful in. And here's what defensive coordinator Doug Belk had to say about his D-line specifically. Yeah, um, it all starts up front. Uh, you know, their scheme is very difficult to prepare for. You know, I thought Brian earlier, our defensive line coach, did an awesome job getting those guys ready to go, along with some of the adjustments that we made from years past. And, you know, we played Navy well last year um, in a lot of different areas, but we made some adjustments to help us even more. Um, you know, we've had a little bit more length up front with Logan and Peyton and some of the guys, uh, David and Nini, that have played and did a really good job in the past. And, you know, a lot of guys who haven't played versus Navy um, on our on our roster that were able to go in there and impact the game. And it's very difficult seeing those schemes for the first time. So a lot of guys uh, stepped up, did a really good job. And, you know, the front kind of makes it all go, uh, you know, changing up the reads and uh, some movement and some different things that we were able to do. 
um, you know, and they were, you know, a big part of why our linebackers and safeties, you know, on the next level had success as well. Um, when you look at the day that Donovan had, but it all kind of starts up front, you know, Dot's main job was to keep the, keep the center off of uh, our linebackers. And he did that the whole game and he was able to change the game, be very physically dominant. And you look at Jamichael Neal and Jamari, um, Akeem, other guys that played in there and then at the defensive end spot, uh, you know, Elias Bell had a really good game for us playing physical, making plays, um, impacting the game and running a pass. Cedric and, and Nelson and then even Justin Beatles got in there and helped us and provided some depth. So very proud of that group. I thought they did a really good job. And a lot of it is your mindset um, because the blocks are coming different. They're hitting you low. They're hitting you high. It's coming off the ball fast. And I thought our mindset was great, um, you know, to be physical and, and match their intensity and set the tempo. And I thought they did that. Mindset was great. Having to be upfront and physical, uh, Dan, before we kind of move on from the defensive line specifically, was there anything that stood out to you about what Doug Belk said there? Yep, it was. And then is it some of the players that had the lack of experience playing against um, a system like Navy can be difficult. And it kind of goes back into what Coach Hogerson said, having Donald Mutant who played against Navy four times and that familiarity, familiarity with a captain like that I think that really helped prepare not only with the coaches and everything else he mentioned, um, but like we like he just said, it started up front. And also, like he said, in which I said, um, the D-line was able to keep the linebackers free because that's huge going against Navy, not allowing the linemen to get to the second level. That's how they get some of those long, explosive runs. Yeah, and then specifically about uh, Donovan Mutant. I mean, you, we heard on the clip before from Dana Horson. He said that uh, they played great defense, but it was large, largely due in part to Captain Donnie, is who uh, Hogerson referred to Donovan Mutant. And uh, Doug Buck, we didn't hear it in that clip there, but during his availability, he also talked about how, you know, from that standpoint, like you said, they had multiple players that didn't have experience playing Navy, and Donovan Mutant was one of those key players that, from a leadership perspective, perspective told them what to expect and, and really helped them out not only that but it just kind of goes along the lines of the type of person that Donovan Mutant is because Belk said that uh, Mutant enjoys when he sees a lot of his teammates see success when he sees them make plays and it gets them more excited uh, Doug Belk said that that Mutant was the first person that got up and started clapping when uh, Dot was named the defensive player of the of the game for Houston, um, which is something they do after every game. And that just shows, you know, when you have one of the captains on the team like that uh, be a leading uh, motivator, it's going to be really a big factor for Houston's success. And then going back to that mental point, it seems like now they're starting to create momentum going forward. Now I know we're going to touch on specifically about USF in a second, but that's something that they haven't been able to have early on in the season just because of the up and downs, the ups and downs. Yep. And they haven't. And um, building on momentum from that coming off the bar against Memphis and now continuing that against Navy. And then you see what's going on around the conference. You see F took a loss. And so, but you still know that their percent, their goal at the beginning of the year is still attainable. You still can win the yeah. conference and then let the chips fall where they may. And so take it a game at a time. I think they are playing more consistently and also more complementary football. The defense is complementing the offense and the offense is complementing the defense by sustaining drives and things like that. And we'll talk more about the offense here in a second. So I, I think they're doing a good job of stacking up the consistency and stacking up the days, good days is that I should say. Yeah, and kind of uh, 
looking ahead at South Florida, who's going to be Houston's opponent this coming Saturday. Once again, that's going to be an 11 a.m. kickoff. The homecoming game for the Houston Cougars at TDCU Stadium. But entering this game, South Florida, when you look at the record, it doesn't stand out. They're on third conference. They're one and six overall. But head coach Dana Holgerson and Doug Belk, both of them uh, kind of for where along the line said throw that schedule or that record out the window because um, they have played opponents much tougher than their schedule would indicate or than their record would indicate. And they've been kind of a snake a little bit when it comes to their circumstances in particular, Doug Belk uh, mentioned how they've been battling through injuries, especially now that they're going to be without their starting quarterback. They lost him a couple weeks ago. They had to battle hurricane Ian in the Tampa area that affected them. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, and then now they've had to deal with a tough schedule because they played. You talked about, I know that's something that Holgerson has mentioned throughout the first six weeks, uh, the tough schedule that Houston had. But South Florida's had to play BYU. They've had to play Florida, Louisville, East Carolina, Cincinnati, and Tulane. So they've had a gauntlet when it comes to their schedule. And here's what Doug Belk had to say specifically more about the matchup uh, with the Bulls. Yeah, you know, when you look at their record, it is very misleading. You know, these guys are coached very well as far as, you know, schematically, you know, they've had a lot of guys in and out of the lineup and, and uh, battled injuries and had to overcome a lot of things with the hurricane and, and had a very difficult schedule up to this point. Uh, but the talent is there. It's what you think of when you think of, um, you know, Florida speed and the talent that they have on the perimeter. Um, you know, they have two elite receivers and a couple guys who um, are right there behind them as far as talented. So, that four or five guys on the perimeter are really, really uh, dynamic and, and can change the game at any minute. And they have some home run hitters. And then, you know, we talked a lot about their starting running back, 21, um, two kickoff returns for touchdowns uh, against us last year, as well as a rushing touchdown. Um, he's one of the most dynamic guys at his position in the country and um, one of the top players in our conference as far as um, all purpose yards on a weekly basis. <clears throat> so, a lot of electric guys there and, you know, with Bohannon, it, it could have been the most explosive, capable offense that we played. Um, Mars has played the guy that we expect to start, um, you know, 6'5", 230, um, dual threat guy, strong arm, does a lot of things well. Uh, so it'll be interested to see how they use him. But overall, uh, you know, four return, returning starters on the offensive line. They had five returners. Uh, the left tackle has, has not played in a couple games. So, uh, don't know what his status is. So they have experience. They have explosive capabilities and guys who can change the game with their athleticism. And um, schematically, uh, those guys do a really good job as well. A lot of shifts, a lot of motions, um, a lot of different formations to get their playmakers in position to make plays. So um, the challenge is going to be great for us and a new week, but the same goal. So we have to do a really good job in preparation and having an urgency uh, early game, get out there, get going and and uh, do whatever we need to do to come away with a victory. So there you heard Doug Belk talk about that much matchup specifically and just a lot of the challenges that USF um, poses and will pose for Houston this upcoming Saturday. And you you heard Belk kind of touch on it um, a little bit when it comes to special teams and uh, the running back that gave Houston a lot of problems. He referred to him as number 21. He was talking about Brian uh, 
I'm a butcher his last name. Brian Batty, I believe is what his last name is. Um, but he mentioned it right there. He had two kickoff return touchdowns a season ago. He had a rushing touchdown against Houston. That's something that Dana Horson himself mm-hmm. uh, mentioned during his availability, that there's going to be an emphasis on special teams, in particular kickoff coverage. It was something that he was not happy with this pass game against Navy, and it's going to be something that's going to be a point of emphasis, is what Hogerson said heading into this matchup with USF. Yeah, and it should be. And one, uh, one thing that stuck out to me that Doug talked about was that Florida speed. One thing you know about Florida, Florida and Texas are probably, in my opinion, the, the top two beds as far as talents for football. California is making some noise of recent also Georgia. But one thing you think Florida, you think speed. And you just mentioned their running back, number 21. He, he has electric speed and along with some of the other skill positions. So you know they're going to have some explosion athletes with explosive explosiveness that can make plays and so um like they both talked about you you can't allow a record to kind of determine how you come into a game in which i don't expect houston to do that i expect for them to come in with a sense of urgency like they've been these last couple weeks to come in and kind of take care of business and i think they're now they came into the season with hype now jay's kind of talked about it um in his availability this week was kind of not dumbing down the expectation, but realizing where they are right now and kind of fighting to prove that they're the team that they know they can be. And I think that continues this week against South Florida. Absolutely. And something that we're going to touch on in our next segment, you just referenced Jace Rogers, but the, the thing that, that we're going to hear in a bit, but really the emphasis for Houston and the defense was that communication, being able yeah. to have everyone be on the same page and understand that, you know, like you mentioned, the, their goals are still ahead of them, which was to come in here and win the American Athletic Conference. Um, and that's something that they're at a point really where they can't take any opponent lightly because, um, yeah especially where they are right now, they're kind of in a – every game's a must-win game. They can't afford to lose one game, especially now with, you know, they've already lost to Tulane. They're not going to see Cincinnati this season, at least in the regular season. So if they want to to get to that American Athletic Conference championship game, it's going to be something that they're going to have to um, clean up and, and, and really go win – the rest of the rest of their schedule um, in the American Athletic Conference is going to be much easier said than done. But real quickly, an overview of the Houston and South Florida all-time series. The Cougars actually lead it 6-2. to two. This game, like I mentioned, is going to be at TDCU Stadium where Houston um, leads that series 3-1. to one. A bit of an interesting note on it. Houston's currently on a six-game winning streak when it comes to the overall matchup against the Bulls. So that means that USF won the first two, and then Houston has won the next six straight. Now, uh, we we talked about it, how it was referenced in terms of what happened last year. And it was a USF team that came in here, and they gave Houston uh, a a pretty good fight. And they, they were able to give Houston problems um i'm sorry they didn't play in houston they played at tampa but they they were very competitive and they were able to give houston problems um especially when it comes to the special teams that they haven't forgotten and it's going to be um something that doug buck said you know they can't take this opponent this opponent lightly definitely can't take them lightly and one thing not only do you have to win out in, in this age of college football where it is right now, you got to have style points. I mean, you don't know yeah. how this um, season is going to shake out from other teams, and it might come into a, a account like how did you look against teams that you beat? Did you dominate them? Did you score X amount of points? How much did you beat them by? And so I know the first 
um, step is to win the game and take care of business. But you also have to keep in mind how they do it. They looked really good against Navy this week. And I think against a team with the record that they have, they're going to be expectations to look really good against this South Florida team. And so I, I, I think they can do it. Let's see if they do. Absolutely. And a couple of news first overall, um, when it comes to the Bulls, one thing that you heard Doug Buck talk about right there, they have four returners along the offensive line. They have experience. They have players much more. They are versatile in terms of, of the skill positions. You heard Doug Buck talk about it there. They have you know, four or five different receivers that all bring different skill sets to the table and they can uh, really cause a lot of problems at any given time. Uh, one interesting key thing to note from a Houston perspective is going to be something to monitor as we get closer to Saturday. But Dana Hoverson said that running back Tejon Henry, who underwent surgery, I mean, he'd been dealing with ankle with an ankle injury heading into uh, the surgery that he had at the beginning of the month. Hoverson on Monday said that they expect Tejon to be back at some point this season. He said it could potentially be this week against USF. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. It certainly will be uh, big for Houston in the backfield if they can get Tejon Henry back. Um, even though Stacy Sneed is coming off his best performance of the season, he was able to put up 100 uh, rushing yards. But it, it's kind of seemed like the running backs group has it's been kind of running back by committee where one game we've had Brandon Campbell come in and he had a big game for Houston. Another, it was Tejon Henry. And this past week against Navy, it was Stacy Sneed. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on right there. Dan, before we kind of segue into our next segment, what is there going to be one key or something, one area in particular you're going to be looking at from a Houston perspective uh, when they take on USF? I think getting out to a good start. One thing they did against Navy finally was getting out to a good start. And I think that bodes well for not only the offense, but the team overall, the defense as well, and just the morale, the energy on the sideline, the coaching staff. I think everybody kind of settles in well, in my opinion, when they get off to a good start, whether it's offense or defense. So I think that's the key for me is whether you're on defense or offense first, get off to a good start and then um, kind of settle into a rhythm and um, let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, USF going to be without their starting quarterback, who you heard Doug Buck reference, it, reference it in the video. Yeah, he underwent uh, uh, right shoulder surgery that's going to keep him out for the remainder of the season. The quarterback that they're expecting to take his place, uh, Travis Marsh, who they saw uh, last season. And, I mean, he had a pretty decent game this past um, – their last game against Tulane um, where he threw for 150 yards. He threw two touchdowns, no picks, but it was against a two-lane team that USF um, couldn't keep up with. So he's going to be someone to keep an eye on. Um, importantly, with Doug Buck said, he's a dual-threat quarterback that has an arm, so that's going to pose a challenge, and he can pose a challenge at any given moment. But coming right up, don't go anywhere. Our Pod Slime Jamma podcast continues, and we'll focus more specifically about the Houston Cougar mindset because Dana Hoverson was asked about it, about where he felt his team was just in terms of if he ever felt like they had, uh, for the lack of a better phrase, gotten demoralized with the, the way the first six games of the season have gone. Dane Alverson said he never felt that from his team, and we'll hear more from a player's per- perspective about what that first six up-and-down inconsistent six-game start was for the players. Don't go anywhere. You're watching Pod's Time Jam. Hey, oh my God, this might be our most watched show, most viewed yeah, show. Crazy. Yeah, comments. Oh, I can imagine. Basketball, 
they're on the come up for sure. They repeat that um, throughout the game. Not we have got a lot, a lot, a lot of work to do. That's your reminder to check out Let's Rage Cougs on the Houston Rombar Review, streaming minutes after the conclusion of every Houston football game and starting November 7th, every men's basketball game, uh, to check out our instant reaction to everything that happened and went on during the game. And particularly for home games specifically, you'll get to hear from what head coach Dana Horgerson had to say uh, in reaction to the previous game. But jumping right into it in particular, obviously the story of this season for the Houston Cougars football team has been the inconsistency that they've seen uh, in the first six games. And it started off with one hell of a game against UTSA. Um, they came back, they won it in triple overtime. Then they played Texas Tech. They had uh, a Big disappointment being able to not close the deal against the Red Raiders, going back to that 4th and 20 situation. Then they ran into a red-hot Kansas team, and then we know the story. The Rice came down to the final possession, Tulane. They couldn't beat without um, their starting quarterback and without their second-string quarterback. Um, and then, really, it came down to that Memphis game where, heading into the bye week, they were sitting at 2-3. and three. We mentioned it, you know, it, that game very well could have defined what this season was for Houston. And, you know, for the first three quarters, it seemed like it might be the season might be on this last leg because they were down 19 at one point against the Tigers in that fourth quarter. And then I know where they rallied back. They kudos to the players, to the coaching staff that they um kind of stuck together and were able to make that rally not only to defeat Memphis, but really honestly save their season. And we're going to talk more specifically about what that was like from the player's perspective. Here's what Chase Rogers had to say about that win against Memphis specifically. Well, I would say like the mood of the team never really went anywhere. We always knew it was pretty good. It was just the fact that we was always making little critical errors down the stretch in those games. So it's just kind of like, um, just, just trying to get everything together, trying to make the, trying to make everything complete. So with that, we was just practicing every day, just better communication, you know, just making sure, talking through everything, like, before we go out on the field. Because before before the last two games, our only three losses became from six points. It was a six-point difference. So we always knew it was pretty good. We just had to fix, fix the little beginning of the season um, things that, that go on. Like, I feel like the communication came from, like, everybody because we were so – we were so we were so worried about the outside noise and what everybody is I mean what everybody expected of us. So we was thinking about conference championship and everything before we got before instead of handling the, the task at hand. So it's like everybody like once we figured out like okay boom, it ain't going how we wanted to go. So everybody just started voicing like Donny, he's an amazing leader. Donny, Geo was there. They are amazing leaders, and I won't ask for nobody else. To, to lead us, but it just, we just came to a point where, to where everybody was just voicing their opinion, like, we need this to work, and we got to make this work, especially in the DB room, because most of the, most of the mistakes that came down the scratch was in our room, so we made sure everybody was on the same page, extra meetings, you know, staying after practice, just making sure everybody was on the same page, and that's, I feel like that's how we, we've been getting it on the road the past couple, two games. Like I feel like we needed we needed that win bad. It was a it was a um it was a must it was a must win for us. Like if we if we didn't get that win, I don't I don't know how the locker room would be. But everybody in high spirits. We we came together as a defense. We had defensive meetings and 
stuff like that to 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 be like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. Our goal's still on the table. Everything we wanna accomplish still can be accomplished. Cause it's like so why not why not talk about it and and, and have extra meetings and, and fit and make sure everybody else on the same page to get where we need to go. So uh, just a little more meeting and talking to each other and just even hanging out when it ain't football, you know, just to get just to get closer to your brother and stuff like that. So we did a lot of that and I and I feel like it's it was a turning point for us. We needed that win. It was a turning point for the team. They needed that win. You heard it there from Jace Rogers a day on before uh, we get into any of the other clips from Dana Horse in particular and what he's seen um, from the team after that win against Memphis. I think that's a testament to the veteran leadership, to the senior leadership on this team. And in particular right there, you heard Jace Rogers talk about it, uh, the defensive backroom specifically kind of uh, taking responsibility for how those uh, close losses came. Yeah, taking a, a responsibility and accountability for how they came and their mistakes. So it was good to hear him see that and hold um, the cornerback, the, the defensive back room accountable. And then hearing the solutions to their problems in which he talked about communication and being able to, being able to communicate and reemphasizing communication, whether if you already said it one or two times, say it three or four times, just to ensure that your mm -hmm. teammate got whatever the call or, or whatever the situation is. And so that, that was good to hear them say that. And like I alluded to earlier about kind of being where they, where their feet are and, and focusing on the moment. And I think the, the way the season started early kind of really, really made them hone in on where they are right now and focus on what they need to do game by game. And so um, it was a lot to unpack there, but I really love all of that I heard from Jace Rogers for sure right there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we heard Rogers there, all the outside noise, they were focusing on all the expectations. And then, you know, it might have been a little bit of a shell shock where, you know, they had all that buzz heading into the season. Um, I mean, really, they got punched in the mouth by Texas Tech and then Kansas followed it up by uh, coming and delivering another right hook to the way the season had come. And then um, the Rice game, especially when you look at it, how it, it ended, Houston ended up winning. But you know, Holgerson was frustrated. He was clearly frustrated with the way of that final possession had gone in terms of the Houston defense and, and Rice really being real close to, to scoring a touchdown on that final drive. And, and I mean, again, kudos to the players specifically being able to, um, like you heard Rogers there, communicate with each other, kind of figure out, well, assess how the season had gone figure out that communication is key in terms of uh, a lot of the problems they've had. And I think first and foremost, what, what you've really seen, at least when you look at it from a statue perspective, the most important thing for them is how they've been able to cut down on a lot of those silly mistakes, especially when it comes to penalties in regards to, and this is not just in terms of the defense, but this is overall across the board yeah. on the team. The offensive line has cut down a lot of pre-snap penalties. I mean, they're coming off their best game of the season. When it comes to that, they only had four penalties accepted against them, which is by far the lowest they've had all season long. And that kind of goes into situational football. A lot of times in those situations, it'll be a third and short. You get a false start, pre-snap penalty, push you back to a third and long, and that, that'll kind of stifle some of the drives, and it'll um, hurt some of the play calling that they could have made if they would have had a third and reasonable, yeah. or there's some of the penalties that the defense would make that keep drives alive or allowing plays that's – third and really long and you keep driving live. So I think all around uh, the bye week came at a perfect time. Um, 
when they got the win. So I, I think the season is kind of shaping up in the favor of Houston and allowing them to kind of control their own destiny, almost in a sense, if, if they can win out. You still need a couple things to happen for them to make their championship game. But if they take care of business, I mean, they can be potentially right where they want to be. And, uh, I mean, I, I think the team definitely hasn't lost to Coach Hogerson and the staff, hasn't lost the locker room for sure. That was – um, kind of we speculated because we were unsure how the season started. We were and unsure. That was a lot of noise, even from national yeah. perspective. No, for sure. National perspective and just us. And so and um, it's good to see that. I mean, because we, we don't expect him to go anywhere anytime soon. The recruiting is still doing well. And so the product on the field, I think, has to uh, um, has to reflect that as well. And over these last few weeks, they have done that. They have made adjustments. It looks like Coach Hogerson is calling plays. Do we get any confirmation on that? Did anyone ask him about we that? We did not. We did not. Okay, well, it, it seemed like he did. And if he did, I, I will give him his credit uh, because that was something that he specializes in, part of why he got the job. And 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 so um, if he did do that, I don't know if he would admit it or what, we did, we can't get confirmation. But let's just say if he did look like he did, I have to give him his props for that. And the defense just continuing – to, to get better and not hurt themselves on really on both sides of the ball. Yeah. I mean, there's been some change, whether it be the way they're preparing, they're at least maybe the way that the message is being uh, relayed or, or the way the players are going out there and executed. Now right. it's a perfect segue down because you just mentioned uh, there was a lot of speculation in terms of where maybe the mindset of the team was and kudos to the coaching staff and the players, because I think we it, it showed right there when they were down 19 uh, in mm-hmm. the fourth quarter against Memphis, it could have really, that could have been it. They could have let go of the rope um, and that fire would have just grown much it, it could it would have been uncontrollable at that point here's what Dana Horvitz had to say about really the mindset of that program at that time oh yeah um you know we've had we've been in some bad spots uh because of some close losses but <clears throat> you know I never felt like we lost the the team or or the you know the pulse wasn't there the work ethic wasn't there the practices uh weren't there I, I haven't felt that you know I just think we got really good character on this team and and kept fighting in a lot of fight, right? So all those early season games, wins, you know, morale was high, losses, we were disappointed, but not down <clears throat> to the point to where we could practice and prepare the right way to go out and and, and, and compete, um, which we've done every game. You know, I, I, you know, a couple of disappointing losses, but it wasn't because we weren't competing. You know, it just ball didn't bounce away or whatever you want to say, it doesn't matter. Everybody's got their own opinion. I, I've been proud of our team with the fight that we've shown. It allowed us to come back against Memphis um, and win. And Memphis is a good football team, you know, but you know, they're going through it right now too with close losses and stuff. But uh, that's the conference and that's college football. I mean, deal with it. Uh, and our team has dealt with it, you know, and, and happy playing right home after Memphis. I couldn't quit giggling, you know. I mean, it just it was a good feeling to be able to do that. And we used it to our advantage. And we had confidence going to Navy and, and playing well, and we did. We had confidence. We went up there and we played well. You know, been having to answer questions about starting fast forever, you know, we did that, you know, and so that's improvement. I uh, still haven't played a complete game, but uh, I'm just happy with what the progress is, and I think our morale is good. We're in a good spot, and we're excited about playing again here this Saturday. 
think right, the key for me in that in that soundbite, it confidence, um, which is something that especially when Houston was sitting, um, especially after that two lane loss, that's probably where the the team's confidence might have been at its lowest all season long. And again, kudos to, to the turnaround that they had been able to do. And going back, it's a testament to the leadership in that in that locker room, man. For sure, and that's something we talked about was them competing. And I agree with Dana wholeheartedly. I, I never saw anyone in any of the games, even that they lost, that they weren't competing. They will have competed. And I kind of um, alluded to that in one of my previous podcasts or Lake Schools. I can't remember exactly that. When players step on the field, they have their own pride within themselves and are going to compete. Because at the end of the day, I'm sure most of them want to play professionally. And what you put on film represents you, not just the program. And so uh, I, I agree with Dana 100%. The competitive nature has never lost. The team has always fought. And so when the the ball finally falls your way against Memphis, then you get the bye week, you get the rest, you get the reset, then you continue um, what you built against Memphis, against Navy. And now you start to have some momentum and now you kind of have reassurance that you can do what you thought you can do to start the season. And the way things are lining up, I think the confidence ha has to be maybe high or you have to be confident within yourself and within your team that they can um, win these games. Yeah, and one of the players that has been pivotal for the last few games in that turnaround has been Sam Brown, who Dana Horson mentioned. He really got to start to see um, him make, making plays during that two-lane game, and then he followed it up with 10 catches against Memphis, and then he had another strong performance this past week against Navy. And again, that's something that going back to playmakers, he's been one of the players that has been able to come up and and be an impact for Houston. And that's a big reason why the offense has been able to uh, be much more of like Horrison said in the clip, effective, whether it be with the fast start that they, they just had against Navy. Um, and here's what Sam Brown had to say, just in terms of the leadership standpoint, which again, I think that's a big testament to being able to have that turnaround. Here's what he had to say about that, about both quarterback Clayton Toon and obviously the lead receiver in Tank Bell. If I can pick you back off, if I can uh, follow up with that, if you don't mind, yep. Andrew. Uh, you also mentioned how gaining Clayton's trust in practice. How do you feel y'all chemistry has been over these last few weeks? Uh, it's been great. Uh, one thing Toon has uh, been good of, like, early in the season and still to this day, like, he always knew I was uh, that guy. It was just a matter of time when it was going to be displayed. So and he, that, that's that's uh, that's another reason, like, he always, like, he always put it on my ear, like, I, I ain't forget about you, like, and some days, some days when it was a good practice and I didn't have as many balls as everybody else, he was like, yeah, I see you working harder. The ball going to come up, come your way. So it was just – he just never made me feel like I was overlooked, stuff like that. Thanks, Tayon. We'll send it to James Mueller. Yeah, Sam, I was just wondering what it's been like for you to play alongside a guy like Tank who's, you know, so explosive and, you know, just how he's able to free things up um, for the whole receiver group. Uh, me personally, I can't, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing playing with him. Uh, just seeing his work ethic and practice, you know what I'm saying? His demeanor in game is just, it, it, you feel me? It, it, it boosts me up to another level. So it, it's, it's just a blood. Well, it's a blessing playing with Toon and Tink for real, for real. Like just them having that dynamic duo and Toon being as accurate and as much as a, a competitor of years, you know what I'm saying? That's all I can ask for as a quarterback. And that's the same thing with Tank. Like, that was the, the catch he made in Memphis. Like still to my day, him him hurt. Like he he not even coming out of the game. Like without that catch, we we don't know what that what that game would have ended like.
So again, that was receiver Sam Brown. A couple of things, and I th the key there is what he talked about, Clayton Toon. And again, that goes goes back to a leadership perspective where there would be practices. You know, he, may, he might have not been a, a focal point during a practice. He might not have gotten the ball as many times. Um, and Clayton Toon made sure to go to him and, and kind of explain to him, hey, I see the work you're putting in. You know, keep your head up. The ball's going to come your way eventually. Yep. And um, I like, yeah, that's what stood out to me, too. And that's kind of reassuring your receivers. Like, I see you working, although you didn't get as many targets. Just keep keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to look your way. And like Sam just said, that kind of gave him the reassurance and the confidence to put his head down to keep working, that his number is going to call. Norman is going to be called. And when the ball came away, he, he's been a playmaker. He said he's never lacked confidence. He knew that he was that guy. Clayton knew that he was that guy. It's just about opportunities. And, I mean, I got I, I got to say, I really like the young receiving core that we have um, throughout the season. They've all produced in moments, whether it's from Man Jack in the first couple games. We saw Golden make some plays. Now Sam Brown is coming on. And so kind of foreseeing the young talent that we have, I think I – think, it's really good. But another thing that stood out to me was the work ethic that he mentioned from Tank. When your best receiver mm -hmm. works hard in practice, and which is what Sam Brown just said, and then not only that, you see that he's willing to put his body on the line and stay on the game when you know he's hurt. That just that's leading by example right there. Things like that will go a long way because you see if my best player is willing to do that, knowing he has a future in the NFL, and I I, I got to put myself on the line and do whatever I can to help this team. And the receivers have been making plays. We've been um, – well, I've been channeling for them to get more opportunities and Clayton to give them more opportunities. And over the last few weeks, he's been doing that. And they've, he, they've been rewarding him and the team of that by making more plays. Yeah, Keyshawn Carter, the other receiver that's made yep. uh, that's come up huge for Houston, especially the past two games. Um, in particular, I mean that Memphis game, he scored two of the three touchdowns that the Houston had in that fourth quarter. So he's been another pivotal player um, when it comes to that turnaround. Uh, that's going to do it for this segment, but don't go anywhere because coming right up, we'll talk about the Houston men's basketball team that they are now twelve days away until they tip off the regular season against Northern Colorado, November 7th at Fertitta Center. Um, and we'll be talking specifically about that not-so-secret scrimmage and kind of the reactions uh, from Calvin Sampson. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Pod Slime a Jam. But before we do that, I'm going to take the time to point out we are so close to 400 subscribers. And I just want to, first of all, thank you for those of you guys that have subscribed. If you're just checking us out for the first time, uh, we hope that you enjoyed what you've uh, seen during the course of the first two segments. Um, we would like to remind you that we are on the road to 1,000 subs. So if you haven't done so already, please be sure to do it down below. It takes... It takes like one second to do it, so it really helps us out. Once we get to a thousand, it's going to be really crucial for us because that's that's going to be the point whenever we can start monetizing off the channel. And like my co-host Dan Dunlap says, this is your one-stop shop for all Houston Cougars football, men's basketball, and women's basketball and that stuff that you're not likely going to find anywhere else. Um, but that's for the segue part of it. Dayon, we are back um, for our final segment in particular when it comes to the men's basketball team. Now, obviously, 
Um, when it comes to where this program is, we've talked about it for the past month. It's all expectations um, where they are. Last week we talked about the AP poll um, where they were ranked third in the entire country. Well, this week the coaches poll came out and surprise, surprise, they're also third in that poll. A lot of national expectations. But the thing that garnered a lot of buzz in regards to this program this past weekend was the not so scrimmage, not so secret scrimmage that they held against Texas in San Antonio now. Um, you won't talk too much about specifics in this podcast. If you'd like to hear more specifics, be sure to click out in the archives on the video that we had this past Saturday. But um, I guess just to set the stage, they did essentially that was the main part where they had two 20 minute periods that essentially worked like a, a college basketball game that you'll see. Um, and it was really a, a good opportunity for both programs in Houston, Texas, to be able to just essentially have a dress rehearsal for the lack of a better phrase before both of those teams start off um, their regular seasons as both programs have a lot of the expectations now. Here's what Kelvin Sampson had to say specifically in regards to what he saw during that scrimmage, specifically focusing on the freshmen. You said that experience. Well, the only way they're going to get that experience is to experience it by, by playing. Mm-hmm. You know, and every time out there, they, they, they'll be self-taught in some ways. You know, uh, one of the things I noticed, both teams, both teams Saturday got tired of because there's adrenaline and emotion involved for the first time. There's no adrenaline and emotion involved uh, at the start of practice here. Mm-hmm. You know, there was some, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure question marks in, in the players' minds because now instead of uh, Jamal going against Malik for the 20th straight practice, he's going against that guy. Well, that guy for the 20th straight practice has been going against this guy. Now he's going against Marcus Hassan. So all of a sudden you get those emotions involved in that and the, the adrenaline involved in that. So now fatigue will come quicker. Um, but I think between me and the other coach, we must have used 75 timeouts the other day, which was second to how many fouls we had. Okay. So there's the defense sort So there you heard uh, Calvin Sampson talk a little bit about different things, but in particular, uh, right there that that stood out, um, he mentioned the files, which um, I guess we can't necessarily pick nitpick on anything like that. But I think the biggest thing that Calvin said during his availability on, uh, yeah, Tuesday that he spoke to reporters was just in regards. There were more things that he saw. He the kind of along the lines he said he saw more good things during Saturday scrimmage than stuff that concerns them and in particular that's that's vital for the freshmen because it's kind of their first real taste of what it's like to play against another a college level team you know without as high of stakes because they're not it is, it is not counting for a record right and so the main thing he was taking out of that was the experience and I'm sure he went into that um scrimmage wanting to work on certain things in which they were able to do that. And I, I think the scrimmage w- was really a measuring stick from both programs. Up until this point, they have X number of practicing. So you install um, certain things and you want to come out and put that to use against a different opponent. And so they were able to do that. But more importantly, the freshmen get that, get that experience before they actually take the floor when it really counts. And so um, I, th- I think it's much needed. And I think it was, it was a good experience. From what I've heard, the team had a good showing, which we don't want. Andy has a, a, um, a video on our YouTube channel. You know, he talks more in detail about um, the scrimmage itself. And so I think overall it, w- it was good. Not only that, I think really more good for them to kind of 
play against someone else because it could be mm -hmm. tiring playing against each other over and over and over. And then when you finally go up against someone that kind of settles in with Coach Sampson and the coaching staff has been installing for so long. Yeah, most most importantly, it allows them to see, you know, what areas they still need to work on and what other areas might be uh, strengths for the team. Like you said, when they're going up against an opponent that they don't see as often as they have in that clip, um, how Sampson said, you know, they counting the scrimmage, they had already practiced 20 times throughout um, the month. So you can imagine if the 20th one was the scrimmage, they faced off against each other 19 different times. Um, so you get to a point where it gets a little bit of repetitive and you know what your teammates trying to do, you know what the defense you guys are trying to run, but kind of focusing on that freshman perspective here's what freshman guard Terrence Arsenal had to say about that scrimmage and in particular how the practices for Houston have prepared them going into your first real right. taste of what it's like to play against another team, like, team at this level you know what, what was that like for you and was there what was the I guess main teaching point that you took away from that scrimmage? Man that was a great experience you know that was really you know I really enjoyed myself that time um, I feel like I had a great showing you know I did everything that coach asked me to do you know, on the defensive end and different things like that, you know. So, um, you know, I'm just continuing learning. Like, there was a, like you said, it was my first time playing and different things like that. But it was definitely fun. I enjoyed myself, you know, watching them guys out there. Um, then when I got out there and played, I felt very comfortable out there, like I fit in. But, you know, Coach prepared me for that. You know, he's been getting on me since, like, the first day of practice. So he prepared me, and I felt like I was very, very comfortable with it. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was there something oh, – my bad, Joseph. Was there something just that – a difference that might have stuck out to you that's different from playing against a college-level team and a high-school-level team? Man, I ain't gonna lie, man. Practice was way harder than the game to me. Really? You know, our practice is just, it prepares you. Like he said, he told me at the beginning of this, like, the game's not gonna be like practice. The practice is gonna be way harder, and it definitely was. You know, I got out there in the game, and everything just slowed down for me. You know, I understood everything. So hopefully I could just continue um, growing off that play that I had during the scrimmage, you know, and just continue getting better. But it definitely... You know, practice definitely prepared me for them. Once again, that was Houston freshman guard turns Arsenal. So a couple things there, and I think in particular, kind of um, we heard in the Samson clip, and you kind of heard it a little bit about Arsenal there um, in the podcast. We're not going to, we did not going to show the clip, but Jermon Mark also mentioned about how really it was just an opportunity to, again, when you're facing off against opponent, you kind of get. Uh, jumpy is not the right word, but you're seeing, you get that game feel. So you're facing off against another opponent. Obviously, every time you're playing against someone else, you want to do the best you possibly can. It gets the nerves up. It starts getting, uh, like Kelvin Sampson mentioned it, it gets players fatigued much faster, but it's really a good process. And that's really the word about this entire scrimmage process right now. It, it is a process and it's kind of trying to figure out what the strengths and weaknesses are. Now, I think the interesting thing about that right there um, in that clip with Arsenal is how he, um, he felt well prepared about going into the scrimmage and, and really he felt that the game had slowed down for him just based off the practices that he had experienced, which um, from an outside perspective, that's exactly what you want to hear from a coach's perspective. That's exactly what you want to hear from uh, one of your younger players that, you know, once they are on the floor, even though it's not an official game, um, essentially the point of practice is to not get caught like a deer in the headlights once you're there. And, and it's a testament to Dan, like you've said on the record in the past about just how strong of a coach that Calvin Sampson is. You call him the best coach in the country. For sure. And one thing, like you just mentioned that Terrence talked about was how practice prepared him for that moment and how he felt the, the game or the scrimmage there that we're referring to was easier 
than the practice. And so that's huge kudos to the coaching staff and the work ethic and the demanding that they um, that they put into their players as far as practicing practicing hard, but also about the process of it. One thing that a scrimmage does is it also allows coaches to help define the roles of their players because you can do that mm -hmm. in scrimmages within the team scrimmages as well and see that boom, when you actually put players up against another player who don't know their tendencies and know the plays and the things like that, you come, you might get a different response from players, how they react in that moment or how they perform. And so I think it works both ways. Players can get a sense of, okay, this is how I can impact winning on this team this year. This may be my role. And also coaches can go to film and go like, hey, you see, well, this is what you would be seeing a lot of this. And this can may be able to define your role. And so I think it's just part of the process, like you mentioned, Andy, you're, you're right on about that. It, it covers so much. Um that's needed questions that you that coach Sampson and the staff may have, and it gives them another opportunity. Probably their well, not their first opportunity, because I'm sure they watch um their scrimmages against each other, but their first yeah. opportunity to watch um film against another opponent. I'm sure that they it was recorded. And so I mean it's just part of the process, and you gotta trust the process, in which it sounds like Terrence <laughs> is, is doing that yeah. <laughs> um with Coach Sampson, and so and it sounds like he's fully, fully bought in 100%. And I think the the most important part um, on that clip, and it's something that, uh, well, Terrence mentioned it, but Jermon Mark, again, um, kind of referred to it. But it, going back to that entire process, it's something where Jermon Mark said, you know, he was at that point where, you know, he was in the shoes of the freshman where, you know, a lot of it is kind of um, getting a real experience of it for the first time and being able to control um, maybe it's not the right way to phrase it, but kind of control those emotions and being able to grow from it now that you have that experience under the belt now. Obviously, again, going back to the not-so-secret part of the scrimmages, Houston is scheduled to have another practice, or another scrimmage this upcoming Saturday against Duke. And again, it's going to be kind of like the final dress rehearsal before they do it for real on November 7th. But it was kind of one of the interesting things where they can kind of take away uh, what was put, like you said, Dan, um, on film and, and what areas they could improve on and then kind of base it off it like you would in a real game. So it's going to be, uh, again, like you said, part of that process and being able to move on to the next step as they move closer to the regular season and eventually once the regular season does start as they progress throughout the entire season. One of the final thing, kind of like the notes of uh, Calvin's availability this past Tuesday, I think there was a couple of interesting things first. Um, we've kind of, we've seen it throughout training camp, but it was the first time this past, uh, or yesterday when Calvin Sampson acknowledged that Jairus Walker has been uh, running with the ones on the team, which uh, again, that, that doesn't come too much of a surprise, but it was the first time he officially acknowledged that to reporters. So um, that's, certainly something that's a step in the right direction in terms of um, the, the the progress that they've seen from Jairus Walker and, and the confidence that they have in him to being able to to be among the team's best. And then um, in regards to some of the other players, Jawan Roberts is something that Kelvin Sampson, he called them the team's best rebounder, which I'm not too surprising what we've seen him in the past few years, in particular what he was able to do um, at times last season. But uh, it, really the, the main takeaway that I had from Sampson's uh, availability this yesterday was that they hang their hat, kind of what they 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 
really pride themselves in is that development. Um, yep. And it's something that when he was talking specifically about Jawan Roberts, just in terms of he's always been a good rebounder. He's always been uh, a good contributor for Houston. And now that he's kind of, the way Kelvin described it, he didn't like the phrase in terms of he's coming into a new role where he's expected to see more minutes, but he's at a point where he's been developed. So now he's going to continue to do the things that he's always done in particular, you know, when it comes to rebound, be kind of that finisher around the rim. But now he's at a point where he's at a higher level. And when it comes to those skill sets, which again goes back to all the numerous players that he'll list off, whether it's Galen Robinson, uh, Quentin Grimes when we first got here, Fabian White, the list is long and and we can go on and on just in terms of how the players come here and they grow throughout their time at Houston. Yep, and one thing that Jaywan mentioned in his next developing was having a consistent jump shot, whether it's mid-range yeah. or stretching out to the three-point line. I think that's the next step in his game to develop into that because we know he's a powerful rebounder. One thing that Coach Sampson said that stood out to me and he's been hinting at that stood out to me was Jay Wine playing a five. I, I know mm-hmm. him and Kellen mentioned Jay Wine and um, Jarris playing together, but Coach Sam really, he, he mentioned that Jay Wine's been practicing with the fives. All of mm-hmm. up until his time this year, he's been practicing with the fours and Coach Sampson. What um what Coach Sampson works with the fours, and so that tells me a lot that Jarris, of course, how he how you just reiterated, he's going to be starting at the four, but that J one is going to be playing some minutes at the five. I don't know how many, but I think he's going to see a bulk of minutes at the five, and there are going to be games where he finishes the game at the five, just depending on the matchup. And so I think that's something to to keep an eye on because. He's one of those – he seems to have Coach Sampson's trust wholeheartedly, in which um, I think he's earned it with this play. I think he just needs to continue to fill up, just like the rest of the team. And they've been – they are um, a program that develops players. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. I don't need to go off – reel off the names. You just mentioned some of them. But that's what they do, and I expect Jay Wan to take another step, as well as Reggie. He's been here for a while as well. I think that's an unforgotten name mm-hmm. Started on the Final Four team, I think, now that he's past his injuries, I expect him to develop and show his offensive repertoire even more as well. We know that he can rebound and play defense. So I I think that center spot is going to be something to watch because I expect um, JVA JVA to get some minutes. He he said he played really well in the scrimmage as well. And so I I think that's something to really, really keep an eye on is that center spot. We have a question from uh, our comment section. This is Jay McElveen. Who do you guys think we there will be an issue with in with it, not enough minutes for all the guards? Um, that's a good question, Dan. I'll let you take it first. Hey, what's up, Jay? He was actually our sponsor. Um, yes, sir. I mean, it's um, I don't think property. so. Yep, for five star pro- uh, properties, I don't think so. I, I think. Um, kind of going back into the development and the culture that he's built. I think each player trusts Coach Sampson so much that they know that their time is coming. And so whatever that he's preaching to them, I think they will 100% bought in because when their number is called and and it will be called at some point, I, I think that they, they trust. So I think early on, um, Coach Sampson just kind of lets the story of the game tell itself. There'll be some games where some of the guards off the bench play more minutes potentially than some of the starters and, and vice versa. So I, I don't think overall 
um, there will be a lack of minutes. I think he will rotate the guards. We'll get them a lot of experience early and about time December, January rolls around. He'll be fully set in his rotation and unless injuries happen at any time that he could heal to have to change it. But I don't see it being a, um, a, a problem with the guards in the minutes. I think they'll, they'll all get minutes, but I think they really just have full trust in coach Samson and what he's building and what he has built, because you just look when your time, your time is going to come. Marcus isn't going to be here forever. Trey Mona isn't going to be here forever. And those next guards coming up is Terrence Ramon Emmanuel. And so I think they're learning so much from Marcus and what you hear from them say that in Tremont and, and Jamal. And so I think they're, I know of course they want to play, but I don't think they're really worried about minutes. I think they just worried about being ready when their number is called, lighting in Cole Simpson down, not getting his bad side, seeing his bad side and <laughs> um, really just being ready. Yeah, and, and Dan, I think to, to add on to your point, I 100% agree. Um, but, I mean, it goes back to recruiting and something that Calvin Sampson preaches and reiterates numerous times he's told us um, as a part of the media just in terms of they recruit kids that, you know, whether it comes um, all the whole process, they recruit kids that want to be in Houston um, that they believe in and just overall are a perfect fit for what Calvin Sampson and his staff are looking for. So I'm sure and it's something that Calvin said throughout the past, you know, he never promises any players when they come here that they're going to have, you know, play a set amount of minutes and they're going to have a specific role, which again, it just goes back to the word uh, for the program that's buying into the culture. And you know, the culture goes back to not being as much of a me, me, me mindset and much more of what's going to be the benefit for the team. So I agree hundred percent with you, Dayon, and I'm tossing it over to another question. This was asked by John Lopez on YouTube. Who is the X factor for this team? Which another good question. And huh, I, I'm thinking I, there's a whole bunch of different players that could be candidates to be X factors. I think we should split. Yeah, I think for the preseason or in the preseason heading into the regular season, I think we we might be able to or at least I'll split it into the forwards and guards or the bigs and the guards. And I'll, when it comes to the guards, I think that X factor is going to be honestly Terrence Arsenal, because we know what we're going to get from Jamal Shedd. We know what we're going to get from Marcus Sasser. We know we know what we're going to get from Tremont Mark. Um, I believe Jamal Shedd, Marcus Hassan, and Jamal Mark. We know what we're going to get from those three guys. And then after that, it's kind of um, who's going to who's going to step up and 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 kind of be that fourth guard. And uh, obviously, Ramon Walker um, has experience. He showed some big plays last season. It's going to be um, kind of crucial to see what his development has been like uh, from last season. So he could be another candidate. But I think Terrence Arsenal in particular is a player to watch. And we heard in that clip and something that there wasn't in this clip specifically, but he said during his availability, which, by the way, shameless plug, if you do want to watch the full video, be sure to check out the channel and subscribe. That's why you follow us um, here on Pod Slam and Jammer for the full for the full clip. But one thing that uh, Arsenal said is that he had a conversation with Kelvin Sampson. And they, they talked about his role. I'm um, heading into it, which just hearing Arsenal talk, it looks like his relationship with Kelvin Sampson is, is really good. And, and just overall, he said, you know, he's pushing him hard. You heard it from that clip right there. He felt the practices were much tougher than, than the scrimmage was. Um, so I think he could very easily be an X factor for the guard position. I think in the front court or when it comes to the bigs in particular, 
I think I think it's going to be Reggie Cheney, and and the reason for that it'll be what he can bring essentially from a from a standpoint of of that we know that he's going to be that veteran presence presence. We know that he can rebound, but. One, like you mentioned, what's his health status look like? And two, um, you know, what kind of is the role that Houston envisions? Because like you said, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to kind of move around um, Reggie along with Jawan Roberts and, and Jairus Walker. I'm going to start with the front court since that's where you left off. I'm going to say with Jairus because mm-hmm. you, you mentioned mm-hmm. the scoring from the guards and you talk about some of those post players and – I think Jarius is the best scorer out of those group. And you look at yeah. the production that they got last year from their post and over um, throughout the history, they've gotten production from their post. And who's going to bring that this year? Who's going to be that player to do that? And I expect Jarius to do that. I expect him to feature him in the mid post area, allow him to go one-on-one, whether it's face up or backing his player down, whatever he chooses to do. So I, I think his offensive production is going to be key on a game in game out. Like you just said, we know the guards are going to produce, and I think he's just going to need to be consistent. Um, and that's I know he's a freshman. I know it's a lot to ask, and Coach Sampson always kind of tempers down expectations for freshmen and know they have a learning curve to do so. But I think his athleticism and his size to be able to run the floor, just do different things, I think he's going to be an X factor in the front court. Throughout the guards, I, I've been – um, going back and forth while you while you were saying, Andy, I would have to say, I'm thinking, I'm battling between Jamal Shed and Jermon mm. Mark. Those are the two I'm thinking about. I'm gonna go with Jermon. I'm gonna go with Jermon. I think he's the X factor for the for the guards because Marcus yeah. is gonna draw. He's gonna be at the top of the scouting report for every team on every game. You know, he's gonna give you on a game in game out, and. You know, with Jamal, he's going to be steady with his playmaking, his defense, running the show. I think Tremont has a huge role not only to produce offensively, but to also do playmaking mm-hmm. when Jamal isn't on the floor. I think he, he's a really good playmaker. And another thing he does really well is get to the free throw line. But I think he's so hungry to prove to the outside world how good he is. I've been following him since high school, and I know what he can do, but it almost seems he's like he's a forgotten piece because of the success Houston has had over the last year, and he hasn't been in the forefront of that. And so I think he's going to – he has a huge, huge chip on his shoulder, and he has – he's going to have to have a huge impact on the team, and I think he will do that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great choice, especially um, from what we've seen already during the red and white scrimmage, what um, we've heard about what happened this past weekend um, in Texas. It certainly seems like Tremont Mark, um, or what happened in San Antonio against Texas, it certainly seems like Tremont Mark is much more comfortable heading into the season. And again, now that he has that shoulder injury behind him, I absolutely agree because, you know, you can't go wrong, and that's a perfect choice just in terms of what he brings to the table. And again, going back to Jamal Shedd, we know what he brings from a facilitator standpoint, from a, a playmaking standpoint. And then obviously, of course, we know that Marcus Sasser is kind of the rock that he can do it all. He can shot create for himself. He can create for others. He And most importantly, like you said, he's going to draw in all the attention from the opposing defenses. He's going to be the top priority for opposing defense against Houston. Is there anything else you wanted to add before I go to the next question? Yeah, I, I wanted to add one thing. Why I was debating between Jamal and Tremont is because we, we've been hearing Jamal's um, been working on his jump shot 
I think that's going to mm-hmm. be key because teams are going to want to keep Tremont out of the paint and also um, Marcus and Jarris, everyone out of the paint. And so I think he's going to have – a lot of open looks specifically at three in which he's going to have to be able to knock that mm-hmm. down consistently in which I think he can do that. And so just wanted to add, that's why I was trying to, was, who should have decided between Jermon and Jamal, but I think Jermon is going to do everything else exceptionally well. He isn't going to have to shoot a high percentage from three to still be one of the best point guards in the nation. No, but that's a great point. If we get to a point where Jamal Shedd is knocking down that three-point shot consistently, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how opposing teams can guard Houston, um, especially when you have uh, their starting five on the court. But that's a kind of a perfect segue for this other question by John Lopez. What will be this year's this year's team's weakness? Which again, that uh, that's really difficult. But ugh. let me get this one. I think uh, I would say. When you play against teams like a North Carolina who have Bangkok or like a Kentucky who has um, Oscar, um, I can't remember his name. Shit, shit. I don't remember how I want to pronounce his first name is Oscar. He's on a preseason All-American team um, mm-hmm. or or teams like Gonzaga who have Drew Timmy. I think without having the size that we have last year with a Josh Carlton, those teams who have 6'10", 6'11", 6, 6'7", foot centers, maybe an Achilles heel. I know we play that monster defense where we trap the post and force them to give it up. So maybe that won't be a weakness. I don't know. Let me think about that. That's a good question. What about you, no, It is. I think – and I don't know if you can outright call it a weakness. I think you'll see the biggest question heading into the season is how quickly do the freshmen, especially in particular, you know, Jarris Walker – um, Terrence Arsenal and Emmanuel Sharp, how quickly are they comfortable being a part of uh, the Houston rotation? How quickly can they pick up the defensive thing? I think that's going to be the biggest question mark, especially when we're focusing in on Jarvis Walker, because if he gets to a point where he picks up the defensive side of things and how Houston wants to run things, um, the quicker that he does it, the much, much better Houston overall as a team is going to be. I think if that's one area where opposing teams could explain it, something that Calvin Sampson has said. Um, and again, it doesn't have anything to do with skill. It's much more of you know, their freshmen. This is a process that they have to learn, but um, honestly, if I had to pick, I'd go with that. And that that's being really nitpicky. And I guess maybe you could go when it comes to, to again, that center position. What's what's that going to look like? Is it going to be yeah. Reggie Cheney? Is it going to be Jawan Roberts? I mean, could it be JVA Francis? I think that's the one position that you could uh, consider a weakness. But, again, I, it's kind of – it's it's tough. It's tough. Now, thinking about it, I'm going to have to say three-point shooting. I'm going to say three-point shooting. Just looking at it right now, coming into the season, you got one knockdown shooter who's a sniper, and that's Marcus Sasser. The rest of the players can shoot, but I don't know if you would put them in a category as a shooter. And we saw last year the Keyless Hill from the team at times were shooting, specifically three-point shooting. And so I think that can be a weakness, but when you got the likes of Marcus Sasser, it's hard to say that can't be a weakness, but I think consistency on a game-to-game basis, teams may want to allow Houston to shoot from the outside outside of Marcus. No, that's a great point. And I mean, something to, to the Calvin Sampson said, he says they hang their hat on defense, rebounding and taking care of the ball. He says that gives them the best chance to win. So again, going back to, to your point, you know, there's going to be times where their shots aren't falling. But the thing about Houston is that they don't, 
really em- they they emphasize on the love side when it comes to exactly. So yeah. even if, even if I mean, choose just uh, it, again in that clip he mentioned the Villanova Elite Eight game loss where mm-hmm. Houston was yep. abysmal from from shooting on the floor, particular three point shooting, and they had an opportunity to to win that yeah. game, yeah. Um, and and that just goes to show how tough that Houston team is. Um, we're seeing a lot of comments and a lot of uh, other people chime in. I think uh, King Jaja makes up a great point where he says size will be an issue again, going back to, yes, to uh, that kind of position when it comes to uh, Reggie Cheney and who kind of will be that when it comes to Reggie Cheney, J1, and JBA Francis. I think this is interesting. Avoid potential bad losses to St. Mary's and at Oregon's playing old veteran teams early in the year will be a good test. Avoiding yeah, scoring drops is also important. So he kind of hit on, on some of the points we've talked on, but I think that that's, that's an interesting point. Again, playing old veteran teams will be a good test because again, Houston's going to be relying in particular um, when it comes to maybe not relying on the freshmen, but they're going to be for the freshmen are going to be playing some um, important roles down the stretch. Maybe not so much early, but the faster they, the quicker that they pick it up or the quicker they get comfortable in the Houston system could uh, be a testament to how quickly, how dominant Houston becomes. Yeah, I think, yeah, but but also, I think you gotta we gotta have to remember you got a Ramon Walker who who earned valuable minutes coming off that bench and maybe he can. Well, I don't. I, I just want to see the rotation. It's hard to see what I say without really seeing the rotation, and so um, I think they're embedded to the culture already. It's just about getting. Um, it's just about transitioning and to the college game. I think that's and the, the transition and the, and speed. the speed. Yeah, the game, the speed, everything that goes around in the game. I think that's something we have to take in, in, in account. But like uh, Jaja said, I think size could potentially be a factor. But I think JVA, he has good size, and he I don't know his wingspan, but maybe 7'4", 7'5". Coach Sampson called him one of the best shot blockers. So I expect him to play a huge role. But I, I agree with you, um, Jaja. I think that was almost – one of my weaknesses, and I think it, it can be probably at times, but with the way they play their post defense and they they, they trap everything in the post, it's hard to beat Houston mm-hmm. um, with a dominant post player. It, it's really hard. Yeah, and in order to chime in as well, he said this team's weakness will be the time it takes to mesh together as a cohesive team and the inexperience from some of the freshmen. Followed it up by saying there will be an adjustment period, in it. and yes, consistent three-point shooting. Good point, Dayon. So, I mean, they're all added concerns, and I think it's interesting. But uh, Dayon, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I feel like those concerns are much more maybe nitpicky is not an exact word, but they're valid concerns. But I, I feel like I'm comfortable that that they won't be as big of a problem. Is it, it could just be that again, going back to what Calvin Sampson, the coaching staff have, have done, like you said, the proof is in the pudding. Um, I feel like they'll, they'll be able to figure it out relatively quick. What say you? I think so too. I think so too, because it isn't, I, I don't see a game where you will have all three freshmen on the floor at one time or oh, two. No, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. So let's keep in mind, they'll be on the floor with a veteran guard who has experience and so and they won't be asked to do much and so I, there is a transition period for sure but uh, um, that's a great point I think the the time it takes to um, really gel together as a team but that's why you have the greatest best coach in the country because that's where coaching comes in and so I full trust in the coaching staff and you, you got the talent you got the players you got everything you need and it's just about putting it together 
Absolutely. Last question here before we wrap things up from John Lopez. Which game are you most looking forward to this upcoming season? And I'm going to start, and I, you've got to circle December 10th uh, against Alabama at Fertitta Center, a rematch of what happened last season. They played in Tuscaloosa against Alabama, came down to the final possession. We had uh, the controversy Controversy at the end of the game. Was it a Golton? Was it not a Golton? I think that's, especially when it comes to non-conference, that's the game that you've got to have circled. And it's going to be a home game. I know there's been some fans that have complained about the lack of marquee uh, matchups for Houston and Fertitta Center. That's going to be one of those marquee matchups. And it's going to be, I think that's going to be the, t- the game that you have to have circled. What say you? Uh, I don't disagree with you at all. I think that's a that's a good game for sure. Uh, that circle, but I'm, I'm gonna go with in the non-conference Oregon. I'm gonna go with non-conference yeah, Oregon. Last time we played Oregon on the road, um, we lost against that game. I don't know why the guard name who plays for the Celtics now his name just skipped my mind. Really good guard, but anyway, I think that's a that's a good test. They had a good recruiting class. They had a down year last year, but. Their team with with a ton of talent, but I mean it's Memphis, of course. I mean, <laughs> of course Alabama, not a conference, but it's Memphis. I mean that's the biggest game in my opinion that I can't wait to see Memphis. I got that one circled. And you you were referring to the Peyton Pritchard, correct? The last time they uh, yeah Peyton Pritchard played Peyton. at Oregon, and I mean yeah that was a that was a tough uh, battle. It was a game that really Oregon was in control for much of it and Houston was kind of just hanging around. They could never kind of get over that hump. I think another game that you can throw in there that really a lot of people aren't really talking about just because of how dominant Houston was against them this last season when they played at Fertitta Center. But this time they have to travel on the road and play at Virginia, which, I mean, that's not going to be an easy test either. Is it? And they're transitioning from a new coach who their coach retired, but they have a coach who's been in the system. And I agree with you, Andy. It's not going to be an easy test either. Virginia is, is a, a good program, just like Houston, a recent um, national championship winner. And so that's definitely not going to be an easy game. Absolutely. And I know I said John Lopez was the final question. King Jarvis will be the real one. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts on this. Looking ahead, do you think the current size of the Fertitta Center will be an issue transitioning to the Big 12? I don't think so. I I often thought about the size of it even before going into the Big 12, but it, it kind of plays into Houston favor because mm-hmm. of it. It, you, you can pack it out. It's not as big and the noise can be. Um, really impact the game. And so I don't think so. One thing I will say, I think they need to expand the student section. I don't think it's close enough to the floor. You see some of the other um, student sections. I, I, I mean, I like it, but I don't like it. That's just nitpicking. I think it could be closer to the floor of the students. Um, I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it could be bigger. It won't hurt, but I don't think it'd be an issue. I think one thing it will be an issue is when they travel in the Big 12 and go see some of those crowds because you playing in the American, the crowds you see in the American are not going to be equivalent to the crowds that you're going to see when you get in the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, they've showed it in, in some of the past when they have to have had to play in tough crowds, um, you know, at Wichita State, at Cincinnati, you can throw in at Memphis in there. But, I mean, even going back to last season when they had to play at Alabama, I think, um, you know, the way they've been able to respond in those environments, I think that's pretty uh, – it's it's key. And it's certainly a valid concern, but I think it's interesting to see how they've been able to play in those matchups. And then going back to your point about the student section, you know, I think – I know you said it was nitpicky, but I think they're kind of – 
I wouldn't say stuck, but when it comes to in particular the student section that's already on the floor, there's not really much more they can do to expand unless they make more bleachers or I don't know. It's interesting to think about. I think maybe, the one, th one thing they maybe could do is put an additional student section behind one of the basketball goals. Hmm. You yeah, have the one could. on the floor, then you could potentially have like an area for like behind the basketball goals because you watch college basketball you see student sections behind the goal doing all kind of crazy stuff right right no i mean no, that's a lot of point i haven't thought of that and uh, i think the, the 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 biggest thing about for tita center is if they could switch the cameras around where you could actually see the student section but again that that's being nitpicky when it comes to the tv aspect but that's going to do it for today's episode of pod slime jamma once again if you haven't done so already please be sure to subscribe to the channel below that you are watching us. Once again, uh, your one-stop shop for all things Houston Cougars, football, men's basketball, and women's basketball. Uh, we are we actually picked up a subscriber during the show, so we are two away from 400. Obviously, of course, the biggest goal, we're on the road to 1,000. Um, once again, that's going to really help us out once we hit that 1,000 because that's when we can start monetizing off the channel. And at the end of the day, it will help us continuing to produce uh, the Houston Cougars content that you guys love so much. But as always, Dayan, I'm going to toss it over to you uh, for the final word. But first, be sure to also follow us on social media. It's Let's Rage Cougs on Instagram and TikTok like you see it on the ticker. All lowercase, no caps, no special symbols. It's just Let's Rage Cougs on both Instagram and TikTok. And obviously, of course, on Twitter at PodSlamajama. That's at P-A-W-D-S-L-A-M-A-J-A-M-A. Day on final word. Um, what are we gonna end on today? Well, just like Andy said, make sure you follow all social media accounts, like and subscribe to our YouTube page. But I want to give thanks to all the interaction, man. Great questions. We appreciate it. We appreciate all the support. But please, man, take five seconds out of your day just to like us, like and subscribe to our YouTube page. But we can't end the episode without go cougs, baby. And we 